day on Ag News Daily. 10% of the propane sold nationally goes into the ag space. Welcome to the Friday, Friday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast, October 6, 2023. I got a little rain on my windshield this morning, Delaney. Oh, really? Yeah, got a little bit of rain on the windshield. Makes the wipers go this morning. Are you not getting any rain? I guess I hadn't noticed any, but I didn't really look outside yet this morning. I'm recording in my basement because I'm assuming that my contractors are coming here shortly. So I don't have an answer to that question, Tanner. It's also only 51 degrees as we record this. We also have freeze warnings that have been issued for a large chunk of the Midwest, including North Dakota, Wyoming, Colorado, Kansas, almost the entire Nebraska, where North Dakota temperatures could drop to as low as 28 degrees. Temperatures tonight are expected to fall as low as 24 degrees in central Nebraska. Warnings will last until uh, from midnight to about 8 a.m. on Saturday. Have a cold push coming through. We also have seen colder than normal temperatures from the Midwest all the way to the eastern coast. So we've got a little bit of a front here that is pushing through the system. Not uh, what I think all of us had expected, but certainly much more like fall now, Delaney. It is. I'm ready for it, Tanner. Absolutely. Because of the fact that farmers are seeing in the entirety of the state experiencing some sort of drought stress, farmers are finding a lot of variability in yields. According to how and when rain fell on individual fields, it's down to the individual field level, Tanner, which is, of course, crazy to think. But according to a regional educator for the University of Minnesota Extension, she shared that drought conditions during pollination, pollination and fertilization resulted in some fields developing smutty ears. And of course, that is some ears that didn't form with very much kernel weight or kernel fill. And she said instead they're seeing some small, very shallow kernels formed before the crop began to mature. When it comes to yields, northwestern Minnesota corn didn't receive much precipitation, but are still managing to put in some reports of yields from 140 to 150 bushels per acre. Although that area typically, Tanner, is closer to the 200 bushel per acre mark. So we're seeing yields maybe 50 bushels per acre lower in some areas there in the northwestern portion of Minnesota. And while 90% of Minnesota is mature, according to the latest USDA crop progress report for the week ending October 1st, the state's corn crop is drier than farmers would like. And she said, of course, that that might might mean it's prone to continued injury, Tanner, but also being very diligent this year of potential combine fires. I know it's been really dry around some of our areas too, Tanner, and so remaining vigilant uh, since it is so dry this year. I know Blaine and I just had that conversation last night. It always worries me a little bit when when he's out there combining, but uh, he promised me he was constantly looking over his shoulder, making sure, and had a plan of attack in case something did happen, Tanner. Absolutely. It's interesting, the variability throughout the nation on corn yields, as well as weather patterns. Pennsylvania right now has the highest rated corn crop, obviously not the largest producer, but 
farmers there are seeing above <coughs> trend line yields. The USDA has announced there are weaned calf risk protection now, a new insurance product that is available for livestock producers in several states. This policy comes from the Risk Management Agency and offers an actual production history coverage for beef cow-calf producers to ensure the revenue from their operations. The wean calf risk protection will be available starting next year. This is a brand new product that helps remove some of the variables that plague farmers running cow-calf operations these days. It's important for farmers and ranchers to have a variety of protections in place. The weaned calf risk protection reflects the priority to always pay attention to the evolving policies and the evolving markets for cattle themselves. The program will be available in Colorado, Nebraska, South Dakota, Texas, beginning in January of 2024. The closing date for the 2024 crop sales year will be January 31st. You can buy up to 85% coverage, and this can be paired with other projects products such as livestock gross margin uh, and more. So kind of a neat product there for cow-calf producers now through the RMA to provide extra opportunity for them to protect themselves. Delaney. Well, Tanner, I have some other beef-related news here myself as well. Following up on a story I reported on earlier this week, I believe it was this week. It might have been end of last week. They're mixing together at this point. But the U.S. Food Safety Inspection Service, or FSIS, of course, is partnered with USDA's Agricultural Research Service as they're beginning a new exploratory sampling program to assess whether antibiotic residues are detected in cattle intended to be marketed as raised without antibiotics. But some of the other labels, of course, they were looking to as antibiotic-free as well as a variety of other antibiotic-related marketing terms. This program has officially launched Tanner, and as far as how they're going to go about doing this, they have sampling instructions for the program that were issued here recently, and that's going to get sent as well as a collected questionnaire through FSIS Notice 3623. So folks are going to be required at eligible establishments that are slaughtering cattle to fill out some of this paperwork. FSIS will also collect liver and kidney samples from eligible cattle and ARS will analyze these samples using a method that targets more than 180 veterinarian drugs from various major classes of antibiotics. If antibiotic residues are detected, FSIS will issue a letter to that establishment concerning the sample results and advise the establishment to conduct a root cause analysis to take action and prevent misbranded product in commerce. If the establishment does not receive a letter, their tests are negative and consistent with the labeling claim. It doesn't say if the agency will also punish those that are claiming to have labels that don't align with the tests, but that might be the next step, Tanner. I'm not for sure there. The other piece of beef-related news I had here was a new piece of legislation introduced by Senator Jerry Moran and Michael Bennett of Colorado. They've introduced legislation here to support small meat processors. The new piece of legislation here is a 
Butcher Act. The Butcher Block Bill, that's a mouthful, was introduced earlier or late last week, excuse me, into the Senate by Moran and Bennett to increase competition and capacity in the meat processing and rendering industries. The Butcher Block Act would create grant and loan opportunities through the USDA to enable small and mid-sized meat and rendering facilities to expand their operations. And this would be more permanent legislation than some of the grants we've already previously seen lend it out to some of these small to mid-sized folks. They said, of course, that higher prices don't just drive up price tags at the grocery store, but also result in higher input costs for ranchers and meat processors. And by providing these small to medium-sized producers loans, they should be able to upgrade and expand their operations and bring more cattle to the market. The main goal of this legislation, Tanner, is to improve competition and capacity in some of these rural areas by authorizing USDA loans and loan guarantees to increase and modernize those small to medium-sized meat processing facilities. So that is uh, an interesting and good piece of news here. I believe there is a similar bill going on or brought to the House floor as well. So we'll keep an eye on that piece of legislation. All right, sticking on the beef side of things, beef packers saw their margins slip further into the red last week. Ending September 30th, packers' losses were $89 per head, $23 more than the previous months. According to the Sterling Beef Profit Tracker, cattle feeding margins slipped modestly but finished the week with an average profit of $300 a head. Packer feeder margins spread widened by to 389 then in favor of the cattle feeders. Good news there for the week ending September 30th. Cattle prices averaged $183.97 per hundredweight. That's about $1.28 up from the previous week. The price is 21% higher than the price this time last year. Wholesale beef prices Posted at $297.05 per hundred weight. That's $2.26 decline from the previous year itself. So beef trackers seems to be doing all right. Uh, margins that are still very tight to negative as far as that goes. Producers saw losses of $7 per head last week on the pork side of things. Pork producers continue to push forward. This time last year saw $18 a head profit. So there's margin to be made up there as well. We'll continue to keep an eye on those prices. The average price for a lean carcass was $77.77 per hundredweight. That was down $2.70 from the previous week. So a little update there on Packers margins for our listeners, Delaney. Well, Tanner, we must have lots of protein related news today because I've got an update here on avian influenza and in the state of Colorado. Colorado has finally lifted the last of their quarantines issued in response to the 2022 outbreak of avian influenza. And I hadn't realized this, but since April of last year, they had been experiencing their largest livestock disease outbreak with the loss of more than 6.2 million domestic poultry just in the state of Colorado alone. This outbreak spanned nearly 19 months with over 800 confirmed detections, affecting 59 million birds nationwide, but Colorado was one to take it even harder. They just issued this quarantine lift as of lately, and according to the state veterinarian Maggie Baldwin, she said that 
Increased biosecurity in commercial poultry operations and backyard flocks have helped to stem the transmission of virus. So she warns folks to remain vigilant and stringent on their biosecurity measures so they don't have another quarantine lockdown like they did for the past 19 months. All right. Well, I've got a couple of small headlines and a Russia-Ukraine update to wrap up my news for today in Oregon Ranch Habitat scored a $1.3 million grant along the Pacific Highway. Waterfowl are in a stage around that reason that a region that could provide additional opportunities for farmers to work through and maintain their wetlands in favor of the waterfowl. The long running project to improve habitat has helped ranchers in Lakeview, Oregon, win a $1.3 million federal North American Wetlands Conservation Act grant. Ducks Unlimited led project is this in its seventh phase to enhance nearly 3,000 acres of seasonally flooded wetlands in their area. So kind of a neat little project happening out there in Oregon. But let's get our Russia and Ukraine headlines. Ukraine claims to have seized nearly $5.5 million worth of Russian military assets. They also experienced a Russian missile attack on residential buildings buildings that have reportedly killed a 10-year-old child and, and his grandmother, as well as injured 27 more. Ukrainian officials says it comes after dozens of people have died due to devastating missile attacks on a nearby village. Meanwhile, Russia launched a massive drone attack overnight, damaging port infrastructure again in a grain silo along the Danube River. Russia has successfully tested a new generation of nuclear-powered cruise missiles. President Putin also raised his prospect of revoking Russia's ratification of the treaty ban on nuclear tests. We'll continue to keep an eye on what President Joe Biden says about the failing efforts to approve arms and ammunition for Ukraine amid what's going on right now in Congress. They stated that the funds currently and the supplies that have been offered would expire at the end of this weekend. So those are what I have for the last of my headlines today, Delaney. Tanner, I think I am out of headlines here aside from taking a look at the overnight markets. What do you say? Let's do it. Well, as we look at December corn, it was down a half a cent at 497 is where it will tentatively open here this morning. November soybeans up four and a half cents so far here on the overnight at 1285. We're recording just a little bit ahead of the overnight close. So markets might shift just a little bit from now, but here's where they're at as of now. December hard wheat, hard red winter wheat is up a penny at 691 and a half. Chicago December wheat up a penny all as well at 579 and a quarter. And December spring wheat up a penny and three quarters cents at 733 and a quarter. In the livestock markets here, Tanner, a quick reminder at where they closed yesterday, the December live cattle contract shed 65 cents at a buck 8537. November feeder cattle shed 12 and a half cents to close at 25030. And December lean hogs added $3.10 to close up at $72.27 and a half. Tanner, I'm thinking now it's starting to rain here at my place, and I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to celebrate National Propane Day tomorrow as I had hoped I would be able to. Well, let's dive into what that's all about.
Hey, listeners, we've got a exciting national day to recognize coming up. We've got Mike Newland here. He's the Director of Agricultural Business Development for PERC, which I think I recited correctly. But welcome to the podcast, Mike. Hey, thank you very much. Appreciate the invite. Hey, let's start first off with what PERC stands for. Yeah, PERC is the Propane Education and Research Council. So we, uh, when you boil it down, we're a checkoff program for the propane industry. So we're funded by the sale of propane and everything that we do. Um, uh, we have board oversight of our members, and uh, but everything is to provide safety materials and training, consumer education. Uh, we actually do some investing in some private uh, businesses when they're bringing a new propane widget to market. So we'll we'll evaluate things on a case by case basis in that regard, uh, but we will occasionally invest the industry's money and uh, something that will impact and improve the future of propane and the users of propane down the road. So Mike, as we look at today's current propane marketplace, we of course have in the past years seen uh, logistics challenges to say the least. Today, as it currently stands, where are we at with propane availability? Yeah, so supply is great. Um, we continue to to produce more and more propane in the country. Uh, currently, on an annualized basis, we're exporting about sixty percent of what's available for us to use. But as you said, it's not flat line use across all twelve months, which is which is a challenge. It can be a challenge. Uh, the most volatile is uh, something I deal with in my market, the agriculture sector, and that's grain drying. So uh, there's years where we use very little in grain drying. If we have a very normal uh, planted crop and normal weather patterns, we, we you know, it's very predictable. Uh, if we look at years like 2019, where the crop got planted incredibly late across the U.S., um, you know, it, it does strain our logistics uh, system. So, uh, you're very, exactly correct. From a supply standpoint, I think we're in great shape and probably will be for the foreseeable, foreseeable future. It's those very um, large and unusual spikes. Uh, and really, it's the compression of, of the use. And that's really where we are trying to minimize that, trying to give ourselves as an industry a future look ahead to make sure we're able to see what's coming down the road and react and plan and prepare for anything like what we saw in 2019. Yeah, it's kind of fun to have connected with you over the last couple of months, hitting up some trade shows where you got to explain more in depth about what your organization does. It's fun to think about all the various ways that propane gets used in agriculture. Do you have uh, like an elevator speech of where it's used most in ag? Yeah, so we, we represent the ag sector in general represents about plus or minus 10% of the propane sold in the country. So I think a lot of people in the Midwest, especially in agriculture, would be surprised. I think they'd be surprised that it's that low. But about 10% of, of the propane sold nationally goes into the ag space. So, um, but in, in ag in general, you know, the, the everybody thinks about grain drying, and that's a big use of what we do in ag. But also we run irrigation motors. Uh, you know, you get to Kansas, Nebraska, California, uh, even into Florida. We, we sell a lot of propane powered irrigation motors that move water for people to help crops grow. So building heat is obviously another big one that we do. 
but we use it for organic farms and weed flaming. Uh, we, we control weeds with propane uh, with a toolbar type application that burns propane. Uh, we've got some new technology that's coming uh, is being built currently the, out in California. It's going to be used to inject steam into the soil to control uh, soil nematodes uh, and sterilize weed seeds, those types of things for vegetable crops. So it's it's got a wide use. Um, we we continue to look for novel ways to use propane. It's a great fuel. It's a super clean fuel for those who don't pay attention to the things like that. But it's a great fuel from a, from an environmental standpoint. Uh, we don't have leak issues like the other liquid fuels do. Um, you know, everybody that has farm tanks probably using double wall or they've got containment. Uh, and we don't we're not required to have those types of uh, uh, containment um, systems around our our tanks. So it's a great fuel. It's a very clean burning fuel. We think it's a great, uh, got a lot of opportunities to continue to grow in the ag space. So Mike, tomorrow, October 7th is National Propane Day. How will you be celebrating the day? You know, it is. Uh, we've got some cool opportunities. To be very honest with you, hopefully I'm going to grill out to be uh, first and foremost uh, and use some propane in doing that. But we do have some cool things. So one of our social media influencers is going to be on Fox and Friends. Uh, so folks that may uh, catch that show will see propane and how propane is used more around the home in that interview than around the farm. But uh, it should be a high profile thing for us to do. Uh, but we hope we hope everybody that's listening gets an opportunity to get out and enjoy uh, maybe a great weekend day. And, um, you know, as you as you crack the uh, 20 pound cylinder on that grill, maybe think about uh, how those how the industry works and all the great people within our industry that get fuel to you safely and, and allow you to enjoy those types of activities. Yeah, it's it's exciting to have a day. We need uh, Delaney to figure out if there's a national podcast day so we can celebrate <laughs> in the same fashion. But Mike, it it's fun to connect you with our listeners, but you do more promotion than just in agriculture itself. Is there anything our listeners can do to help you spread the word about propane? Well, I tell everybody that wants to listen to me, and, and some folks think I ramble, but I, I like to tell everybody that will listen, we've got the cleanest available combustion fuel on the planet. And um, I think that I think that gets lost in some of the conversations today. You know, uh, um, for the most part, we power most of the forklifts around the country that that move product on pallets, you know, in and out of semis that get delivered to you. Um, we, we run a lot of school buses that deliver kids to and from school. I think that's very unusual that folks may not be aware of, and that market's growing for us. Um, you know, the residential applications, I think a lot of folks that are listening would be familiar with those. The outdoor living space though is growing after COVID. A lot of people have invested in their backyards and their uh, living space their outdoor living space. So we see more heaters, more outdoor fireplaces, those types of applications. So I think we've got a lot of things for a lot of different people. And um, as you look around the house, look around the farm, there's a lot more that I think we can do with the fuel. It's like I said, very abundant. Price is very good compared to other energy sources. And uh, that's the that's the key messages I think we want to make sure everybody is aware of. Awesome, Mike. Well, we certainly appreciate your time joining us today. And I think I'll be grilling out to celebrate National Propane Day tomorrow, too. 
There you go. Well, think of us when you turn that valve. Make sure you uh, turn that valve on when you're done cooking. Turn it off. And uh, But when you do, think of all the great people in the industry. Think about the fuel that you're using. It is American-made. It's a very clean energy source. And that's really what we want to highlight, uh, highlight by having National Propane Day. I think, Delaney, you still have a chance to celebrate. Obviously, today is cool and damp in our region, but should be all right to get out and fire up that grill tomorrow. I'm hoping so, Tanner, because I got to get the last of my summer grilling in before it completely turns to fall. Absolutely, listeners. Thanks for hanging out with us all week. We'll be back again Monday with a Market Monday update. Feel free to connect with us on social media. But until next weekend, what do you or until next week, Delaney? What do you say? Should let the listeners go. Let's let them go.